Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. I've been thinking a little bit about Korea. I I, I actually have uh, done some reading over the past couple of years, and um, the cold. Uh, you know, it's it's cold here in Utah right now, and uh, the cold always gets me thinking about two things: the Battle of the Bulge and uh, Chosun in uh, Korea, and uh, uh, what what the men suffered in those two battles. Jim, how did we end up with two Koreas? Well, it was supposed to be a temporary solution to the end of World War II. The United States came in from the South after occupying Japan, and uh, the uh, Russians had already invaded Manchuria, and they were standing by, and they moved into uh, North Korea. At the time, the Russians thought they got the better part of the deal, which they did, because most of the industry that the Japanese had built up in their 40 years of occupation uh, was in the north. The south was a a breadbasket, as it were, but they grew a lot of food. Um, The uh, Russians believed they could unite the entire country under communist rule. And in 1950, they ordered uh, Kim uh, Il-sung to uh, Kim Sang-il, to invade. They supplied him with a lot of modern weapons. He had a lot of uh, Korean troops who had, uh, basically, a lot of them were ethnic Koreans from China, uh, but they had all had combat experience. Uh, Kim himself was a communist, you know, functionary, as it were, who had spent some time in Russia, was trusted to follow orders, etc. And they did, and at first they were successful. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> for all of our problems, we struck back, and within a few months, the North Koreans were rapidly uh, scampering uh, across the uh, DMZ or the uh, 30th parallel, which is roughly what the DMZ is, uh, back to North Korea. At that point, Russia called in its last favor from China. The Chinese said this after they had a few years of fighting in, in Korea. Um, and the Chinese, uh, who had just finished their civil war, in 19, that ended in 1949, and really hadn't demobilized a lot of the units they had formed. Uh, so they took a lot of the uh, <laughs> a lot of the nationalist units who had surrendered and switched sides. They said, well, we can't trust these guys anyway, so let's send them into Korea. But they also sent a lot of uh, sons of about prominent Chinese officials, including uh, Mao Zedong. And and that son got killed, as did a lot of other sons. There were several hundred thousand Chinese killed in three years of fighting. It was a stalemate. The United States was not willing to make a major effort, which would have killed a lot of Americans and allied troops. In fact, because the Russians were having a, a how should I put it, a disagreement with the UN, they were not present, because they had a veto. They were not present on the day of the invasion or soon after the invasion, and they were not able to veto a UN uh, vote that that basically uh, approved of a UN uh, force 
under the direction of the United States, who would supply most of their troops, <clears throat> to go in and liberate uh, South Korea. And uh, I don't think they had I don't think they had orders to to unite Korea, but the South Koreans were very eager to do that and, and eliminate the uh, the northern threat once and for all. And off they went. Uh, MacArthur was now, brilliant. Now, now, Jim, one of the things that happened at the just before the beginning of the, the Korean War is I'm trying to remember his name. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but uh, the whoever was secretary of state at the time made an unfortunate statement uh, of what was United States interest, and it did not include Korea. Ah, uh, yes, that was before the invasion. Right. And, and so, uh, like like uh, Kuwait in 1990, uh, that faux pas, we, we repeated ourselves in 1990, uh, seemed to uh, green light the invasion that would be uh, uninterrupted, as it were. And they stormed across, they went, you know, pedal to the metal, didn't worry about supply lines, that was a big mistake. And then the Marines made their last opposed invasion uh, in Inchon Harbor. Now, I've been in Inchon Harbor, and boy, it's got one heck of a tide. It comes in, and if you're not a fast walker, especially in mud, uh, you're going to be swimming or drowning uh, very quickly. Anyway, they had to time it very precisely, because if they picked the wrong time, the tide would go out, and all the ships would be, you know, a lot of them would be basically grounded before they even got to shore, and then the Marines would have had to, uh, you know, slog through the mud. But anyway, uh, they fought their way ashore, and, uh, and again, the North Koreans already had the news from the south, where their their line around Fusan, uh, or Fusan as it's pronounced in Korea, uh, was collapsing again because of lack of supply and reinforcements. And from that point on, you know, it was all over. And it was if, without the Chinese, who suffered tremendous casualties. I mean, the, the, the retreat from the Chosen Reservoir, the Frozen Chosen, I think cost the Chinese two divisions worth of troops lost. I mean, the Marines took heavy casualties, but they took their wounded and a lot of their dead with them. So they had a lot to be proud of there. It was quite an accomplishment. Uh, a lot of Army units and Allied units weren't so lucky. A lot of them got out, but a lot of them didn't. They just got surrounded and chopped to pieces. Um, now, after that, uh, it basically got stalemated along what the current, roughly where the current DMZ, the militarized zone is. Uh, the Chinese made another offensive. I think uh, they, they temporarily occupied Seoul. Again, that was the capital city of South Korea. Uh, they were pushed out. Um, and uh, it was trench warfare. It was World War One all over again. One of my uncles was on a troop ship, uh, you know, several days out of uh, Korea. He was in the infantry, a mortar man. And I guess they heard he was coming because they signed the peace, the the armistice, you know, before he hit the uh, hit the uh, the main the Korea. And he spent the rest of his um, uh, tour, one year tour trying not to get killed by the slicky boys. These were the sneak thieves who, by the time I got there 10 years later, were no longer pulling knives <laughs> on troops and, and driving trucks, but they were stealing anything they could lay their hands on. South Korea was in very bad shape e economically uh, <clears throat> up until, I guess, the 80s and 90, 80s. And um, what really uh, changed both Korea, well, North Korea in particular, forever, was... Uh, Kim, the founder 
of, uh, of the uh, Kim dynasty, he outlived the Soviet Union. He died in 1994, um, uh, you know, uh, while the Soviet Union dissolved in um, 1991. And with that, all the countries that were basically getting by with subsidies, very generous, you know, uh, oil, uh, cash, food, subsidies from uh, Russia, like Cuba, for example, uh, suddenly, you know, went through a decade of very, very uh, strenuous economic struggle. The Koreans call that decade the arduous march uh, because uh, uh, Kim basically uh, rallied, uh, well, I mean, his son rallied the, uh, uh, his son was basically his understudy for a decade before he took over in 94. But between the two of them, they, they made the Korean people believe that they were overcoming uh, not a communist defeat, but a, a, a test of juche. And that's a Korean term, meaning self-reliance. Now, that's an old Korean term, which gets, uh, gets taken out of the closet every once in a while. It originally went back to times when uh, Korea was caught between uh, an aggressive China or an imperial China and an aggressive uh, Japan. Um, and they tried as best they could uh, to keep them out. In fact, at one point, the uh, the United States sent a landing party ashore. There was some sort of dispute. Uh, that isolation basically kept them from uh, adopting modern weapons and what have you. So the uh, they, they were unable to stop the Americans. They did whatever they had to do. I figured exactly what it was. And then they withdrew. Um, but in... Uh, in uh, in uh, 1950, uh, the only thing that saved the North Korean government was the uh, the timely arrival of the the uh, the Chinese. Now, something that has only become news, as it were, you know, <coughs> documented after the Soviet Union fell <coughs> and China opened up a bit, uh, was that uh, China told Russia our debt is paid. In other words, all the aid that the Russians had given <coughs> the uh, Chinese communists uh, during the uh, the uh, 30s, especially, <coughs> and the invasion uh, that uh, drove the Japanese out of Manchuria and turned it over to the, uh, the Chinese. They appreciated that. But the Chinese still had claims on a lot of Russia's um, Pacific Coast territories. And they, they very, they very market, they never... The very, how should I put it, obviously did not uh, withdraw those claims, uh, especially after Korea. So Russia was on notice. You know, it's only a matter of time before we come back and regain our lost territories. In fact, they're doing that right now because nobody, not many Russians want to live on the Pacific coast. It's cold, very cold, sort of like the, the northern New England, Maine, the Maine coast, cold, uh, and snow, and it's not a pleasant place, you know, for three or four months of the year. Um, and uh, the uh, after the Soviet Union collapsed, a lot of the people who had been coerced into uh, moving to uh, the Far East, Vladivostok and what have you, uh, headed back to the, uh, you know, uh, Western Russia, um, you know, where there were more economic opportunities, it, it living wasn't so austere. And the Chinese moved in. I mean, basically, they came in first as traders, 
there was a labor shortage. Hey, Chinese, you know, hey, if you can do the work at lower wages, you're, you're welcome. Um, and bit by bit, they began taking over the economy. And of course, the Chinese adopted uh, a market economy in the 1980s, late 70s. And by the time the Soviet Union collapsed, the Chinese were getting much more prosperous. They were turning out goods that Russia didn't turn out at all. Um, they had a lot of their industry right there. They could ship it to uh, Eastern, Far Eastern Russia, you know, cheaper. And so bit by bit, they are conquering their disputed territories, uh, you know, demographically and economically. So when the time comes for the Chinese to say we're taking over, uh, there won't be much of a fight because there won't be many Russians left out there. Uh, the Russians still can't get anybody. In fact, they hire a lot of uh, Koreans at cut rates. Uh, you know, the, the North Korea keeps 90% of the wages, uh, but the other 10% is more than they'd ever make in Korea. Um, and because uh, North Korea uh, uh, cut off, it's shut down its borders in January uh, 2020 for the COVID, uh, and they're still down. Uh, they've, they've allowed more imports lately, but you know, nobody's getting in or nobody's getting out. In fact, recently, the <clears throat> the Russians, one of the uh, few countries that maintain their embassies in uh, in North Korea, evacuated most of them because, you know, it was just it was privation, even for people with uh, semi hard currency like the uh, uh, the Russians um, and the North Koreans have been having a very hard time. They keep insisting that there's never been any COVID-19 in, in uh, North Korea, but it is in there. It just isn't spreading a lot. And that's mainly because the shutdown also shut down a lot of the internal transportation, the railroads, uh, trucks, you name it. You know, you really you have a hard time traveling. It's like going from one county uh, province to another is like going to a foreign country. And it's usually not allowed except in extraordinary circumstances. Um so the, the legacy of the Kims run the third generation now with Kim Jong-un, the grandson of the founder. And he's in weak health. He lost about 30, 40 pounds recently. He was very overweight, which is a bad image, you know, for a country that's still uh, full of very thin and undernourished people. Uh, they lost 10% of the population to starvation during the uh, 1990s, the arduous march, as it were. Um, and indeed, it was noticed, uh, you know, 20 years later, you know, when those children born in North Korea during the 1990s got drafted at 18 for six to 10 years. Uh, some of them showed up on the, um, on the DMZ, on the, on the areas, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the peace village, you know, where they have talks and what have you and where they can watch each other. Uh, the South Koreans couldn't help but notice that their soldiers were a lot bigger and buffer, you know, because they had been eating much better, uh, than the, uh, than ever before in South Korea. And they were like easily, you know, half a foot taller and, you know, much more imposing than the, uh, the North Koreans. North Koreans couldn't help but notice that. But what's really killing the dynasty is video. You know, video didn't just kill the video star. It basically killed the Kim dynasty. Because up until the 1990s uh, or 2000, uh, the um, media was very strictly controlled in North Korea. There was one radio station. If you were caught with a radio, or heaven forbid, a shortwave radio, but the, the local radio stations only had one station, and that was the state-approved station. But bit by bit, 
first the uh, people living along the Chinese border got Chinese cell phones. Uh, it was it was a felony to get caught with one. Although it, things were getting so bad that if you had enough cash, especially Chinese or American cash, you could pay a bribe. It'd be expensive, but you wouldn't go to a labor camp, which is often a death sentence. Uh, it's like COVID with heavy labor, and. Um, uh, you know, the news got in because once once people inside uh, North Korea got it, you had the gossip net. People would talk. But what made it worse was people began uh, bringing across videos. Now, at first they were on CDs and, 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 and uh, USB sticks, but eventually they started bringing them in on the uh, micro SD cards, you know, using cameras. And these things, you know, uh, year by year could carry more and more, you know, uh, gigabytes and uh, they were cheap and uh, they basically get to a distributor in, in North Korea who would then duplicate them in media you know uh, USB or the uh, a lot of people had DVD players and they could play music or video and whatever uh, most of it unapproved and they began to see that the, what they've been told all these years was that North Korea is more prosperous than the South they couldn't believe the rise uh, you know, it was like, you know, the man in the high tower. You know, what is this mythical world that, you know, uh, we were told was different? And they saw all these pictures of, of Seoul, you know, uh, the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the entertainment, the, uh, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the uh, Korean rock, the K-rock. K- uh, K-pop, 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 K-pop. Which, yeah. which even, which even uh, the uh, uh, Kim Jong-un is a big fan of. Uh, he tried to create his own, and he declared it. I think it's now a capital crime to be caught watching video of, of uh, South Korean K-pop. Uh, you want North Korean K-pop, but they could never compete. I mean, they they turned out some fairly decent acts, um, but again, they were uh, South Korea was a free country, a better educated, better fed, uh, more people were employed in in basically real jobs. Uh, in North Korea, it was still the uh, you know the old adage, you know the state pays us to uh, pays us to pretend to work, pretends to pay us, and we pretend to work. So very low productivity. Uh, the solution, which the Kims were not happy with, was they bit by bit had to allow free markets. Now these were controlled. They uh, they had to pay taxes. Uh, but they wouldn't. You wouldn't be shut down by the police. You wouldn't get shipped off to a labor camp. So there were incentives uh, to make them work. Uh, but then, as the in the last ten years, the police have become greedy because they weren't getting paid much, and and food and fuel and especially in in the winter was much more expensive. So they demanded higher bribes. Uh, the smuggling of people, especially out of North Korea and along the Chinese border. Uh, became more and more of a problem. Uh, they couldn't really stop it. They tried to slow it down. I mean, there's, there are nearly 40,000 North Koreans have ended up in South Korea. A lot of them don't really want to go to North Korea or the United States. They're quite content to uh, to live in, uh, in in northeastern China. There's a large millions of ethnic Koreans uh, living in, in that part of uh, China. They still speak Korean. And uh, they'll basically, you know, they'll, they'll hire their, their kinsmen from North Korea. Uh, and the government will tolerate them as long as they pay taxes and basically supply the intel, the MSI, the intelligence services, Chinese intelligence, with any information they are receiving uh, from Korea. The Chinese have maintained a very accurate 
and voluminous intelligence collection activity in North Korea. Uh, Kim Jong-un was very well aware of this, and he was afraid that the uh, the Chinese knew so much about what was going on in North Korea and who was who and who could be relied on to support the Chinese and, and who would side with the Kims, that he was very vulnerable to a coup. So one of the first things he did when he took over in 2011 was to fire a lot of the older you know generals and officials, including his uncle married to his, 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 his elder sister. Uh, or his father's sister, um, because they seemed too cozy with the Chinese. That may or may not have been true, uh, but he basically replaced a generation of loyalists, old elderly loyalists, uh, with younger men uh, and a few women, like his younger sister, who's, who's currently his heir apparent, um, uh, mainly for their loyalty. I mean, a lot of them had better, more, more skills. They were more open to you know modern ideas, as it were. Um, but the problem was the old command economy uh, was gone, and they had to reckon with this new class of Danju. These are ent- legal entrepreneurs. These guys, are, and a lot of them are women, are getting very rich. Uh, they're having trouble hanging on to the money because the, the, the North Korean government keeps trying to pay, pass laws to force them to keep their hard currency in North Korean banks, which is a license to have it stolen by the, the government when they make a change in the exchange rate or whatever they they've done it several times um so the uh, the government banking system has no credibility and uh neither does the government so really it's basically lurching along the north koreans or you know east asians in general uh they don't they don't rebel they're a collective society i mean they're they cycle they're they're how should i put it uh culturally very different. I mean, actually, these differences exist around the world. Uh, many cultures are collectivist, where, you know, the, the collective, as it were, uh, is supreme over the individual. But countries like the United States, you know, the, the, the British colonies are more individualistic because basically they sent people out there not as press ganged, you know, colonizers as the, uh, as the Spanish often did, um, but as individuals. And that became part of the American ethos. Uh, you know, this this every man, you know, every woman, you know, can basically make their own way, and um, and this made a big difference. And in the far in the, in East Asia, uh, uh, the collectivism is very strong. Uh, there are rebellions, uh, but when they come, they're massive. And the and the North Korea, this Chinese government and the North Korean government are afraid of this. But the the, the bright side of this. Uh, uh, very high poverty rates, food shortages, transportation, you know, shutdowns, and a very ruthless secret police, even though they'll take bribes, uh, they are they will basically kill, literally, in order to hang on to their power and their relative affluence. Uh, there has not been, you know, any real danger of a popular uprising. I mean, a lot of people are unhappy, but there's no way to organize a uh, and for example, there's no free internet. I mean, most people, if they if they get any access to the internet, it's the North Korean internet, which is an intranet. It doesn't allow you to dial out beyond North Korea, so it's very limited. And they have Chinese uh, censoring software uh, to keep track of who's saying naughty things and who's saying nice things. Um, and and basically, you adapt to this. Uh, the Stockholm syndrome on on steroids. With a with a touch of mercury poisoning, 
Um, and it's a, it's a tragic situation. And, and the South Koreans, when they saw what happened in Germany, when the two Germanys reunited, the East had developed a very different culture from you know, West Germany, more collectivist, uh, more tolerant of, of uh, central, you know, a strong government, government control of everything. And, and this basically had brought uh, East Germany to the brink of bankruptcy. I mean, they were basically unable to uh, food, supply themselves and what have you. That's one reason why the, the, the Berlin Wall came down in 89. Uh, because, you know, a lot of even the German police uh, you know, uh, security forces were not willing to kill their fellow you know, Germans uh, to preserve all this poverty, which wasn't getting any better. And they saw what was happening elsewhere in, uh, in Eastern Europe. And uh, the Germans had indeed rebelled in the 1950s and were put down ruthlessly, as it were, by the Russians. Uh, that didn't stop the Hungarians from doing it later in the 50s. And then they, they, uh, the Czechs and then the Poles threatened seriously in the 80s to, uh, uh, to have, stage another rebellion. So, you know, they saw the writing on the wall. But there's no such thing in, um, in Korea. Uh, they were totally cut off from the outside world. Uh, they knew nothing about history except what the government told them. And the government told them a fairy tale. And when they found out the fairy tale was false, they were dispirited, but nobody was inspired to, you know, revolution, you know, let's change this. And so the, the North South Koreans have concluded that it will cost them a lot more per capita than it cost the Germans to merge the two, you know, halves of the country. Uh, North Korea has been much more crippled psychologically and economically and educationally. Uh, than the the two Germanys were uh, during the uh, decades of uh, of separation, so it's a very grim situation in North Korea. I mean, we we report it, you know, regularly, and we just come up, you know, we basically concentrate on the on the new ways that it's it's coming apart. Question is, how long can it um, can it hang together? Uh, the basic problem is uh, there's the only way a revolution is going to happen, it's going to come from the security services. Um, and they basically are kept in a tight leash. Um, and that's why the Koreans are very fearful that the Chinese will eventually exercise their options in uh, North Korea, where they have a lot of people who are loyal to China. They see what's happening in China. Uh, they, they wouldn't basically object to China helping facilitate a change of government. Uh, in um, in Korea, with Koreans running the show, not Chinese, uh, and uh, but the Chinese basically haven't pulled that trigger because that basically sets a bad precedent. They get they're in enough trouble in the South China Sea and with all their other broader disputes. Uh, it's not really worth their while to get you know involved in a uh, in quicksand in North Korea. So there it is. It's a it's a bad situation. It is a dynasty, and it's a dynasty which is approaching you know. Uh, the revolution or the collapse uh, that would be more pro- that would be more active uh, appropriate description of it because there's not likely to be a revolution but there will be a total collapse anarchy and uh, at that point you know what south korea said they will go in and and liberate and and feed and and help their korean brothers and the chinese are saying if you want to get nuked or you want to get invaded by china uh, you know, if you don't want to have that happen to you, they don't go in. So that's unresolved. So they, it's still a flashpoint potentially, but so far it's just been 
a slow motion mudslide. Yeah, I think that's a really good description. Austin, so are we in for another 70 years of North Korea and South Korea as it stands right now? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, Dan. That that, uh, that that that's a good transition, Dan, because it's Afghanistan wasn't isn't the longest war that United States involved uh, involved in. It's the Korean War, which is still an armistice. This Jim sort of uh, sketched it that you know we've we've got a ceasefire from 1953, really a complicated one between UN forces, meaning really the United States and uh, what we had a, a fairly large allied contingent uh, fighting with us and uh, South Korea and uh, and North Korea and uh, there's an armistice commission that meets on a regular basis uh, except there was a period wasn't there Jim uh, on and off for about 20 years where North Korea boycotted it I think that's that that was yeah yeah part they, of it. They, they, they were you yeah, know they, they're, they're negotiating tactics similar right to right 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 treaties. but yeah. they, they they have they do have them uh, and they uh, meet in Panmun John which is the quote unquote UN peace village uh, I've, I've I've been up there it was it's a really interesting place and uh, Dan Jim's description of the difference between North Korean and South Korean troops is is accurate it's really stark plus the other addition is the uh, uh u.s army mps up there uh <clears throat> all of them look like they were playing tight end in high school and <laughs> they're tall big and uh it part of it's uh, for show when i was it, no it's definitely for show uh, when I'm, I'm tell this quickly uh, when I was up there, I got to talking to a Sergeant E5 uh, MP, and uh, I, I mentioned to him what I had noticed with about the North Korean uh, soldiers and also the size of the South Korean uh, soldiers and uh, MPs. And he started chuckling and he says, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. That's part of what we do. <laughs> and it's uh, it's. Uh, Okay, a little competition there on uh, <clears throat> on the size and uh, shape size uh, shape of the uh, uh, of the soldiers. Uh, that, that by the way, the South Korean uh, uh, signed assigned to Panmunjom. They are just some of the sharpest looking soldiers I've uh, I've ever seen. The North Koreans, you watch their eyes. Uh, they're not supposed to look at the visitors, but they really enjoy looking at the Japanese and American and Australian women. You can you can see that as well, which gets back to the K-pop invasion, the Korean uh, pop music, but especially the girl bands. Uh, and that's what they call them, the, uh, the girl bands. They have been quite successful uh, in uh, really throughout Asia, from India uh, on up through China, uh, one of during when they've had some political contretemps, the uh, Chinese don't allow uh, South Korean bands uh, to come and uh, appear inside in mainland in mainland China. All close, the only people that really get ticked off are the Chinese fans of these uh, Korean bands. South Korea has made a, a lot of money, both from its uh, fr from the music and and from the films. Uh, they uh, that that they shoot. Uh, they've got a very vibrant. Uh, 
arts and entertainment uh, uh, industry, and uh, plenty of those DVDs and CDs have uh, gone north, gotten north. As a matter of fact, uh, I read this, uh, this about three years ago, that one of the hottest items in uh, North Korean military units were DVDs of South Korean girl K-pop bands. Uh, they, uh, of course, they're forbidden uh, by the uh, by the dictatorship, but I don't think they were too successful in stopping 19-year-old boys from uh, looking at those uh, uh, rock and roll uh, DVDs. So let, let let me talk for a second though about the the potential for a a blow up instead of just 70 years of sliding in uh, into uh, <clears throat> into a pit. That's what, what Jim said, and that's a meaning North Korea. Um, first of all, South Korea, let's see, I think it was 2010, 2011, started its reunification fund. Now, this uh, reason I'm starting there is, is that the reunification fund was also a statement about we're not going to try to start a war. And this, but we know what bad shape you're in and we're not going to uh, suffer the economic consequences that West Germany did when it absorbed East Germany. Now, Jim, uh, uh, Jim mentioned that. It took West Germany roughly from 1990 at reunification to 2005, 2006, and you can see this on some studies about it, to pay for the absorption of, uh, of East Germany. And West Germany had, I think, 64, 65 million people, East Germany about 15 million, and a more, more land area, and East Germany had one of the highest um, GDPs and a quality of lifestyle in Eastern Europe, it took 15 years. North Korea is the cesspool that Jim describes. You've got, you know, the royalty and the Kim dynasty and and uh, some of their uh, of their uh, generals and, and security personnel that live like kings and and princes. And the rest of the country is uh, paupers, uh, serfs. Uh, they are <laughs> miserable. Uh, and it doesn't have any infrastructure. The only infrastructure that it's got has been modernized is that there are some roads that South Korea paid for to go up to the, uh, the uh, Kaesong uh, uh, Special Economic uh, Area where South Korea built a uh, really a, 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 a factory complex to uh, for North Korean workers to work in and produce South Korean uh, products. And there are some of that superhighway uh, does uh, go further north towards uh, uh, Pyongyang. But railroads, uh, during the thaw, early part of the Trump administration, after, after Trump had uh, met with uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, South Korea, uh, North Korea let South Korea uh, put a special train together 
to go and look at all the track, at least on the East Coast and partly on, on, the, on the West Coast, to determine what kind of shape it was in, with the idea that South Korea would eventually help North Korea modernize its rail uh, system. And I followed this story uh, over a period of uh, about two months. Uh, there were places that that train, even though it had uh, cars and, and, and workers supporting it so they could put in track, it just had to stop because it was miserable. Uh, and this, these were quote unquote main lines of um, main rail lines uh, in, in North Korea. So here you've got this pot of money that's been building now for 10 or 11 years. Uh, South Korea originally thought they were going to need in 2010, 2011 dollars, about three trillion, maybe five trillion. Now, calculations on what it would actually cost to fix up North Korea on that that may they may need to to double it, and that's an astronomical amount of money, even for a, a wealthy uh, country like uh, South Korea, uh, uh, to spend on uh, rebuilding the North. They don't want to sacrifice their lifestyle, and South Korea is really a, a, a quite modern uh, modern country now. They worked hard. Uh, they're creative. They got great research develop uh, and development uh, institutions. And they don't want to, the, what's the population now? I think it's 52 or 53 million in South Korea. And yeah. it's 20 something in, in North Korea. So you've got, you've got, got a huge population in, uh, in, imbalance. Uh, but that, and also North Korea is a little bit larger in, in land, in, in land area. But they don't want to sacrifice what they've, uh, uh, what they've built, what, the, uh, what they've earned. Now, North Korea's game, Jim and I have talked about this, and in, 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 you, you can see it in our books, too. Uh, that chapter I've got in Cocktails from Hell on, on North Korea goes into how the Kim clan uh, uses crime uh, to uh, really uh, pay for their luxury items, you know, selling drugs, um, all kinds of various types of organized crime, including uh, uh, human smuggling. But their their biggest game is uh, nuclear threat, which they've been working on nuclear weapons at least since the early 1990s. If you go back and look at 1994 in the Clinton administration, that was we were supposed to have reached uh, an agreement. Uh, the U.S. and uh, North Korea, the North Korea wasn't going to get a bomb. Of course, that's uh, was a charade and a lie on on uh, North Korea's uh, part. Uh, they've continued to develop their uh, ballistic missile program and some of the cruise missile program. Uh, Jim's followed this in, in uh, how to make war sections, as well as the uh, uh, Korea updates and. Uh, they've they've even improved to the point that they've got some missiles that are uh, solid fuel and certainly large with enough range that they could put a put a nuclear weapon or a conventional weapon uh, uh, on Japan and probably hit Guam. So 
Uh, <clears throat> they're also to a point that their longer range ICBMs uh, bring the Hawaii and uh, parts of Alaska, British Columbia, uh, and uh, parts of the U.S. West Coast, certainly the uh, Washington State, uh, uh, within range of a North Korean attack. And blackmail instrument, that's, uh, that's what I say is its pr primary purpose. Pay us off or we'll, uh, we'll shoot you. And then, of course, they're assuring themselves their own destruction. It's, it's a, it's a uh, what used to be called a, a Mexican standoff with two uh, vaqueros uh, pointing six guns at each other at the range of uh, six feet. Uh, who's going to shoot first? But they're both going to go. Uh, they're both going to go down, or at least they're both going to uh, suffer. So the change that has occurred. And it's unclear how this is going to play out over the, the, the next uh, two or three years, is that Kim Jong-un actually came out of his, um, out of his bunker uh, in, in responding to the uh, Trump administration's uh, first uh, coercive diplomacy, and then Trump telling him, and I'm, I'm being a bit facetious here, but this was basically the U.S. offer. Do you want condominiums, condominium apartments, or do you want craters? Meaning that that's your, that's, that's your choice there. Now, South Korea and Japan, even though they go through little short periods of disagreement that have to do with uh, uh, <clears throat> rivalries and ethnic tensions that are at least five, 600 years old, but to, they really have cooperated on uh, pro, uh, producing conventional capabilities that can uh, decapitate a potential, stop uh, a potential North Korean uh, a missile strike uh, of, of any type. Chinese spend a lot of time and a lot of effort spying on North Korea. So does South Korea and Japan doing the same thing for a slightly different reason, their own, their own, own security. The threat that North Korea would also hold over uh, South Korea is all their conventional artillery. Now, a lot of it is sighted within 20 kilometers of the demilitarized uh, zone, and it's rocket long-range tube, but it can they can fire uh, really uh, into the northern third of Seoul. Seoul is a really a huge, huge city, uh, like uh, it spreads out like Los Angeles or Houston. But the northern tier of it is uh, within conventional artillery and rocket artillery uh, range. So uh, North Korea's another part of its blackmail uh, over the south is even if we don't develop a nuclear weapon, we'll, we can destroy Seoul again. And Seoul is, uh, the, uh, it, I forget the exact number, but the Seoul area from uh, so Chonan uh, up through Seoul, running over to in Incheon, produces something like 60, 65% of, of South Korea's GDP. So, 
a lot of money. It, it may be maybe be a little a little more than that, but depends on how you map that uh, ec- economic footprint in um, in South Korea. So South Korea and Japan have developed that. Uh, South Koreans refer to it as their kill kill chain uh, weapon systems. Some, uh, most of them, air delivered. They're missile and and aircraft that can take out or close the hardened artillery sites that are most most of them are on the uh, reverse slope of the uh, uh, of the ridges on the north of the uh, of the DMZ, and, and they've been hard to target. But now they've got cruise missiles and some uh, missiles that are on the verge of uh, having uh, hypersonic hypersonic speeds that can come in and come in from the rear and hit the entrances to these uh, caves, these tunnels where the uh, North Koreans have uh, have located their uh, artillery pieces and and. and rocket systems. Uh, that's very complicated, but they exercise it, and I think I think they could do, they could do it. Uh, nevertheless, the North Koreans have devoted a lot of time to building, putting, keeping that threat uh, that threat in place. Do I think North Korea is actually going to pull the trigger? No, I don't. But they want everybody to think they're going to pull the trigger. And the South is tired of paying them. As a matter of fact, it went through a period where they're not uh, absolutely minimal aid other than food and medicine. They, uh, uh, they do that. The same thing uh, with, uh, 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 with Japan. Um, North Korea it presents a problem. It presents. Uh, a real threat, but at the same time, this is sound, sound the uh, the contradiction here. The big blow up is a very unlikely threat, and that gets down to when does the collapse come? Uh, Jim did a good job of co- of covering that. We don't know. We know that the South Koreans don't want to see a collapse. The Chinese really don't want to see a collapse because the Chinese want a buffer state between uh, South Korea, Japan, and and and, and their border. But um, at some point, it's going to happen. I don't think it'll be seventy years, Dan. But I don't think it's in the next five or six either. Okay. Well, we're at the end of our time. That's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, And we'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Bye, guys. Bye.